This podcast is not to be used as medical advice or medical education. If you are experiencing pain, discomfort, or any other medical or physical ailment, please consult a licensed medical doctor or physical therapist. This is the strategy of fitness. Hey, this is Dan Gorin from the Strategy of Fitness Podcast. We'd like to thank you for all of your support. And if you love the podcast, please recommend to a friend. Find the Strategy of Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you can. On Instagram, we are at the Strategy of Fitness. And we also give you the best gym songs every week, the Strategy of Fitness official hitters playlist on Spotify and Apple Music. Welcome back to the Strategy of Fitness Podcast episode 51, boys. My name is Nick Cressy, joined weekly. Dan Gorin, Rob Rowland. Rob, fresh off the bike. Dan, what's up? Let, let's let him catch his breath. Yeah, we'll let Rob catch his breath. And I, I was just talking with Nick before the podcast started. I mean, of my several man crushes, one of the newest ones is Tyler Hero, the place for the Miami Heat. That dude just has the sweetest stroke I've ever seen in my life. And I'm thoroughly enjoying the NBA playoffs right now and just happy to have it back in my life. So, Rob, how was the bike tonight? Feels like somebody just ripped the skin off my my thighs and just poured lemon juice all over my quads right now. I can't even sit still. What Tonight was it? Was, <laughs> what were you hitting the night? One minute all out, five minute recovery, five times. You sound you sound like you're in actual physical pain right now. Uh, I'm writhing sitting here. Like part of it is I'm listening to you guys talk, and part of it's the workout. You <laughs> know. <laughs> well, now you know how our listeners feel. Let's do a little around the room for the week. I don't think we got into workouts much last week, Dan, but I know you've been getting some work in. What's worth mentioning? Yeah, so I have been getting some work in, and you sent me a workout that I wanted to share with the listeners, Waterproof. So Waterproof is the name of the workout. I don't know, where did you get this workout comp from? Train. Is this is Chris Clyde. No, this is a comp train workout. Yeah, comp train. So it was 21, 15, 9 calorie rows, and then front squats at 95 pounds. And you know, all the weights are at 95 pounds. Then it then right into 15, 12, 9 toes to bar and then hang squat cleans and then 12, 9, 6 bar facing burpees and thrusters. So I did that in 21, 38, which was a little longer than I thought it was going to be. And a couple, a couple notes here. When I, whenever I see hang squat cleans in a workout, I should just know going in that it's going to be way worse than I think it's going to be. Even in the, like I'm looking at this workout, like I could bully 95 pounds all day long. But the cumulative effect of all this stuff added up, when you get to those hang squat cleans, and I know you did the workout yourself, Nick, it, it really, it, that broke me. It broke me. It was also my first workout kind of play with a front rack, you know, since I've hurt my wrist. I had to modify the thrusters a little bit. Got them all done, but just kind of had to modify my grip to, to go into a little less wrist extension. All in all, it's a great workout. If 95 sounds a little heavy, definitely try it at you know, 75 or 65. And even if 95, if it sounds on the borderline, please go down because that, that is a rough workout, man. So thanks for sending that over. <laughs> yeah, so look, we were texting about it the night before, and you're like, What's, what, should I, what should I aim for here? You know, I don't know how you go after workouts like this, but I assumed you were going to go after it probably just like you did, where you don't really respect the leg pump of the 45 quick 95-pound front squats married with the, the row counts. So I'm assuming you got done that first 21-15-9, jumped over very to the bar, yeah. and then so you were like, oh, very shit. Quick. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, you're 10,000% right, and that's exactly what happened to the toes to bar. You know, a- after that, it was just a, it was like the, the meme that's out there with the horse and the first part of the horse is drawn beautifully. And then each successive part of the horse is drawn like shittier and shittier. Yeah. That was basically this workout for me. And by the end, it was just a complete disgrace and the tails all over the place. So yeah, it was a fucking disaster. Oh man, I love that. Well, I don't know about you, but I did it this week as well. And it's a great test, man. Like I did that workout last thing of February of 19. I did it in like 13 and a half minutes, then like 11 and a half minutes. I think it was 1344 and 1144 actually is what I hit. 
So it's it's a good one that next time you hit it, you'll probably shave three minutes off just from strategizing differently. Just recognizing that feeling a little bit because when you get deep in those workouts, especially those things I've noticed about comp train is he's he's masterful with those twenty one fifteen nines and the how he tweaks them and it reads easier than they end up being almost always. It read so easy, and then I was—I I just got buried, buried about midway through. I think after that first, like the first set of squat cleans, I'm like 15, I got it. And then for some reason, when I hit 12 squat cleans, it was all the wheel, all the wheels came off. There's a wheel to come off, came off. <laughs> Beautiful. What uh, what else this week? Did you hit any heavy lifts? Yeah, I was going to talk about the deadlifts too. Got the rack pulls going, so hit a uh, three by five. So my deadlift work, I did this actually prior to this workout, which probably not another great great idea to do six sets of heavy deadlifts before this workout. But did a uh, deadlifts at three hundred five and did three by five with a pause at the bottom, and then worked on the rack pulls that Rob's been grilling me on. I did two uh, two forty five pound bumper plates plus one 15-pound bumper plates on each side for the height of the rack, if you guys want to imagine that or do that. That put the bar right about right below my kneecap in an area of the tibia called the tibial tuberosity. Just gave me a decent place to shoot for those below the knee. Ended that at 355, which is almost my one rep max at 370, and did three by five on that, trying to pause at the bottom. And then you and Rob gave me some good tips on, you know, as I'm pulling from the rack, just trying to keep my, my lats engaged, trying to stay close to the bar and, and just really work on that last little bit of range of motion. So, so thanks a lot guys for that. That was really good. Are you doing, are you doing any deadlifts as well? Or are you just su- supplementing this right now until you feel comfortable with the rack pulls? Oh, no, no, no. I, I was, I hit the three Oh five. Okay. Three by I'm five before that. that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, sorry, and then, and then I put put up to three fifty five. See, so yeah, I did six sets total, five reps of the regular deadlift at three hundred five, and then five reps, three sets at the rack pulls at three fifty five. Got it. Great. Let, let me talk about the the cue, the one cue I gave you. I think this is like a common issue I see all the time in the gym. Like anybody pulling from the ground. So especially when that bar is in like a more advantageous position, you just kind of want to like rip it off the ground. But if you don't pre tension your body and pre tension that bar. It's like that first pull, the bar kind of pulls you forward. So my cue to people is if there's 200 pounds on the bar, pull like 195 into it, get your body tight, do like a quick systems check, and then lift that last five pounds. I think that's like a good like mental strategy to get yourself in good position and make sure you don't pull yourself out when you get a little excited about the weight. That's great, great advice, and and it's something I know. But like you said, and and this goes to any workout too. Is once you get deep into a workout, or once you get the weight gets heavier, what's the great Vince Lombardi quote? Fatigue makes cowards of us all, right? Or uh, sometimes I think that you could replace fatigue with heavy heavy weights, and you could replace cowards with idiots, right? Because <laughs> I know all that stuff, and I didn't do it. And I, I found a great analogy, and I've read this before, but. The best way it was explained to me, I can't remember if you told me this, Robert, I think I read it somewhere, but if you can think about pulling a car out of a ditch, right? If you're pulling a car out of a ditch and you have your rope tied to your car and the car's in the ditch attached to the rope, if you have slack in that rope and then you fire off your car as fast as you can, your success rate of pulling the car out of the ditch is going to be diminished significantly. You're probably going to break the rope or there's going to be some sort of catastrophic accident with your bumper. What you'd want to do is tension that rope, like you said, at 95% right get it nice and taut and then maybe have your buddies behind the other car and then fire up the gas and try to get it out of the ditch so it, it, it was one of those things where the second you said it I, I immediately kind of went back to that analogy but like i said so so based on my vince Lombardi quote the heavyweight heavyweight makes idiots of us all yeah sure does rob speaking of which did you actually lift any this week i do i'm still getting my <laughs> it's, it's just on the bike <laughs> yeah, just straight up bike these days. I, I like when people come in and tell me, dude, I don't need to train. My, my legs are strong. I run. I'm like, uh, there's really, there's no correlation there, but all right, I'm not going to, I stopped arguing that stuff like 10 years ago. It's not, it's not worth the stress, but I am lifting. I, I usually get three lifts in a week. Dan mentioned the hang squat clean. So one movement I started moving back into the rotation that I haven't done in forever is high rep hang cleans from the high hang from a dead stop. So you go to like position one of a hand clean, pause there for like a good two count, and then drop under. And I was doing like sets of five there. And I pulled that one from good old Dragon Door Mark Alexander. He he threw that one at me. And that's a brutal one, man. Those first three reps are hard are tough, but that fourth and fifth rep, when you're not putting the bar down between reps, that that gets the the upper back and legs strong. Yeah, it does. You're hook gripping there exclusively, right? Absolutely not. Not until I need to. Oh. 
I, I got yeah. to 225 for a set of five without hook gripping. So if I go above that, I think I'm going to start hook gripping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's tough. That's, that's legit as hell. I, I, I respect the shit out of that. That's awesome. And Dan, I like watching your injury video. I watch it every morning when I wake up just to scare myself and hurt <laughs> oh, myself. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> but that seriously, like that, that's a great variation for you to teach yourself like how to receive a bar versus just like diving under and trying to catch it on the bottom. Like you have to be just so fast and get yourself under that bar. I think it's a it's a really good motor learning skill. Even if it's just like bar before you get into your clean workouts, I think that's a good practice for you as you start getting back to the heavy weights. That's a great idea. Definitely. And I think both of you have mentioned that, you know, just like with the deadlift, if you break it down into those simpler patterns, if you have that, you know, the squat clean, if you really break it down, it's a very complex movement in a lot of ways. And if you, you parcel it out, it, it definitely, I think, will will hammer it home. So going to give that a try. How far out are you from doing this, by the way, Dan? We're very Dan-centric today. How far out are you from, from throwing around some cleans again? You know, what's interesting is the cleans, I don't think will get it too bad. I think it's more like the thrusters because I could clean it up into a front squat and just kind of cheat that wrist extension a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, keep it more in my fingers versus keep it more in my palms. But if you're trying to ask me to do like heavy push jerks or heavy, heavy thrusters, I think that's what would really get me, but not far. I think a couple weeks, man, I'm, I'm like I said, every week I do a little bit more. It feels a little bit better and appreciate all the feedback for different workouts and stuff. And I've been modifying things at the gym. So, you know, well, your shit's progression better than mine. I'll tell you my, my outside of my wrist is jacked up. I, I still can't do much of what I want to be doing. I can't snatch yeah, it at it, all. TFCC is no fucking joke, man. I mean, like I, I lucked out. We both injured our wrists and, and I got the good one. The TFCC, like Rob said, that is a motherfucker. Can you UPS your splint to Nick and let him use it for a few weeks? Kind of let that thing scar <laughs> around heal up. Bro, I got so much shit wrapped around me, basically cutting off the circulation to my hands w- with these lifts. I, I, there's no splint on planet Earth that can that can fix the way this thing feels when I start turning my pinky like up. You know, when the elbow starts going out, it is a, it's a son of a bitch. It's really starting to piss me off. I could do a lot of stuff, but I can't snatch, and the cleans feel a little funky on a wider grip. But Rob, I cut you off. What else? Any anything else worth worth mentioning? How's the uh, year of the engine going? It's going, man. So I was thinking about this when we were getting ready to do the podcast the other night. So I've had thirty six required workouts in the first two months. I've hit all thirty six. There were like four optional. I did three of those, and the only one I missed is because I was trying after that four k world championship. So I'm I'm staying consistent. I had to retest the ten minute all out test this week, and I improved by one freaking watt. Like. <laughs> It, it was so like it was a better effort. It was it was much better strategized. But to see like after that, after a month of like hitting these workouts five times a week, I went up one watt. It's kind of a a little disheartening. But I was like thinking about it. I, I feel like I came into this with a pretty good base on the bike, so I'm not expecting to make leaps and bounds progressions. And I think I, with the amount I'm training on this bike, I think I'm just under eating now too. So it's this month three. I'm going to dedicate trying to get a little bit more uh, carbohydrate in the diet and stop doing this bike at like ten o'clock at night because I did it last night and I couldn't fall asleep for like two hours. I was so. Yeah, are you are you doing long sessions or is it the majority of this quick pumps? I mean, even your four K is fast. Most of the workouts are between like twenty five to forty minutes, so they they can get pretty pretty long. Like I got like a forty minute just straight ride this week, so they, they they're starting to get time consuming. Very cool. Yeah, I, I love that. And anyone that's home that has a rower or echo bike or assault bike or whatever, you can basically modify that programming. I, I've been sending more and more people to WebKey's website like, yeah, go check it out. Because from what you're saying, it sounds like it's an efficient use of time to say the very least. And I mean, you're getting better every week, right? I, I know I know, it's a bit disheartening to do the, the 10 minute all out and only have a plus one. But I'm sure if your legs were fresh, and when you when you test that in a couple of weeks or months, you're gonna blow it away. And it'd be nice to know like what other people get on a ten minutes. I got no reference because nobody really has these ergs that are doing these stupid workouts. But back to your saying, just like the web key stuff, like especially time in quarantine when you're home and you don't have a million pieces of equipment to do like all the fun, sexy CrossFit workout you guys are talking about. Like just having some dumbbells on a bar, hitting some simple strength, and having one piece of cardio equipment and hitting these workouts five times a week. I mean, that's that's about all you need right there. I agree. It's, it's funny, as you as you were telling that story, I was messaging a, a guy from my gym. And he's like, man, I, I just feel like my engine's not there. And I was like, well, funny funny you should say that. I know a guy who runs the year of the engine, the perfect program for you. So I think that we've all kind of shout out, I'm sorry, Matt Webkey and his his program. It's, it's really great stuff. And, and Rob, not making 
uh, just knowing you and how good you are on machines, I mean, if you can improve 0.001%, you're still going to be in pretty elite territory there. I wouldn't worry about it. Thanks, Daniel. That was really nice of you, Dan. Nick, tell us about, first of all, before you get into your workouts, the new additions to the home gym. Two, two big additions to the Cressy household this week. Yeah, two big ones. So first of all, got the new bar, new barbell from Rogue. Really excited. Been stalking the website for months. Finally got a nice Olympic barbell that has some whip to it. That completely threw me off like I was a fucking eight-year-old that got a new toy and needed to wear out all of its batteries, except the batteries were my body because (laughs) I just disregarded all of my lifts last week and just, I think I squat cleaned three days in a row. You know, typically if I hit like a 315 or a 320, 325 in a week, it's a good week and it's consistency. It did that like three days in a row. And then I, of course, tried to max out on the fourth day with the new bar and almost got it. But that was just so stupid. You know, like by the end of the week, my body was just like, dude, what are you doing? So then instead of lifting, I, I put the bar away and built a little platform. So been waiting and waiting. I've been talking to you guys about it for, for months. It feels like I need, a, I need a platform. But I'd never found one that you can break down. And I shared it on Instagram. And a couple of people actually hit us up in the messages and said, hey, how do you do that? So we can post that YouTube video. It's like a three or four minute YouTube video. And it's a mobile, lightweight, you know, a lot of these platforms are, are three or four pieces of, of board. And that was the thing that always had me hesitating. I was like, man, I don't want all this plywood that I can't move on, on my mats. They're, they're just going to stay there. They're going to be static. And if I did want to move it, it's a couple hundred pounds. This is only... One one three quarter inch sheet of a plywood, couple uh, about one stall mat, cut it into two two foot sections, and then bought another nice piece of four by four three quarter inch plywood, put on top, and screwed it, and off to the races. So excited to get using it and stop ruining my garage floor. We'll see. I haven't even used it yet. Let's nerd out on bars for a second because nobody listening to this is really going to care about barbells. But I want you, you, did you have a rogue bar before that you used? I didn't. I had like an X training 190 pound bar or $190 bar. So you mentioned the whippiness of the bar. There's also like a, one of the big differences when you get to these really nice bars is you have like a ball bearing in the collar. Mm-hmm. So it, it spins really nice versus like the cheaper bars are going to have a bushing. Do you, do you notice a difference when you're using that bar? Yes. The spin is insane. And the whip, you know, the, the, the classic way, Rob, to, to check a, a barbell's whip is if you just lay it down on the floor and kick it and you see it, you know, kind of wobble. And however long it maintains that little wobble is you can basically say, oh, there's a lot of whip or there isn't. So I didn't even really know my the one I use right now. I kicked it, you know, a little bit of, of wobble, but not much. I kicked this one. It, it, it wobbles for 10, 12 seconds. So. You feel that in the pool when you make contact on your on your contact point, you're going to be able to feel that thing whip and actually work work with you. You have said that the the biggest thing that I'm going to feel it is in the dip and drive of a of a split jerk. I haven't been able to test that yet. That's what I would feel, and I always liked the cheaper bars because I was just so used to like stiff bars from Strongman. But I think once you can kind of harness the the whip in a a really nice bar, it, it's such an advantage. Like it, I, I can't imagine you're, you're hitting like 335 pretty easy right now. Like a few months of getting used to this bar, I'm a little scared of what kind of weight you're going to be throwing around. Well, it's funny you say that because I talked to a guy who, who Olympic lifts and he's like, you will, it'll make lifts and it'll break lifts. Like if you time it incorrectly, that thing's, that momentum is used against you. <laughs> so we'll see. I got to get used to it. Like I said, I haven't messed with a bunch overhead right now, but just looking at videos, if you get if anyone goes and breaks down a slow motion clean and jerk, you'll be able to see what we're talking about when you say whip. That bar bends when they're dipping, and you, it, it when they explode up, they're using the whip of that barbell with the the weights on the outside exploding up. It's kind of wild to look at if and you don't even realize it if you don't look for it. It's such a nerdy thing to to talk about because no, unless you use it, it's hard to really appreciate. Yeah. Or you're like an advanced Olympic lifter. The other thing too is like if you're you're getting a bar for home, at least spend a couple hundred bucks or like three hundred bucks on like a good rogue bar. Or there's there's so many CrossFit sites out there now. Like 
when when Nick's buying a bar like this thing, it'll last him a lifetime as long as he takes care of it. Like that cat barbell you're getting at Dick's, that thing is going to last you like a year or two. This like a barbell is is where to put your money for for home home gym equipment. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. So you talked a little bit about your workouts. What else did you get into this week? I mean, nothing crazy. Uh, the the waterproof was fun. That was a good retest. Other than that, I don't think there was anything crazy. I did some heavy thrusters in a workout the other day. Those are a good just reminder. Mixing heavy thrusters and GHDs is something I've never done before. <sighs> Man, that GHD, it's just so hard to breathe when you're getting that full extension on that stupid sit-up. And then going and doing like a, a burpee over a box jump and a heavy thruster, pretty gnarly combination. Where did GHD, it's two questions about the GHDs. Where did the GHDs get you? You seem like it's more of kind of a endurance fatigue than it is a abdominal fatigue. And then also how quick are you banging those out? Because I've noticed that everything I've tried to do, and I did a lot of those when my wrist was bothering me, anytime there was toes to bar to work out, I'd sub them for GHDs. And I was actually pretty efficient with them. They were just super slow. So is there any tips you have to speed those up? No, no, just do them. I mean, to me, they're so hard. Like I, you hit a threshold. To me, GHDs are very similar to toes to bar, but you can always do another one. Sometimes in the toes to bar, you literally have to stop because you can't. And that buys you rest. A GHD, for the most part, you're gonna be able to go down, touch behind your head, and come up. But it hurts so badly. It, to me, it doesn't get me crazy out of breath. It's just, again, like I just feel it high and low in my abs, and even in your legs sometimes, right? Like when I'm doing them on the back end of a, a burpee box jump over in those thrusters, your legs are basically doing leg curls to get you up, right? Uh, you're trying to relieve a little bit of core strength. I, I was taught, you know, one of the coaches at Archon told me to fire the quads. Like you're doing a, yep. an aggressive quad set as you're coming up, which, yeah, so if you're doing box jumps or if you're on the assault bike, you know, your quads are shot. And there you got to use them at the end of the motion. Have fun. <laughs> I think Rob gave me a workout. Like one of the first times you gave me a workout, Rob, it was the D-ball on the back end of like a 15, 15 GHDs on, a, on an EMOM. <laughs> And it was one of the most disturbing things that happened in my body. Like I was like, oh, you know, I don't really get sore that much anymore. And then I felt like I had internal bleeding for like a week and a half. So <laughs> I, a lot of people don't have GHDs at home, but if you have one at your gym, go try it out. It's one of the most efficient ways to get your core really in shape. Let's put it that way. Again, you were using the GHD wrong. I meant for you to do actual glute <laughs> hand raises, not fucking sit-ups. <laughs> There's nothing you hate more than people using that thing the way I use it. Everybody uses the acronyms like you're supposed to know it's the sit-up when the, the acronym is glute ham developer. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. Hey, look, Froning does 400 a week. Supposedly, it's just like not even in his program. He just makes sure he does 400 a week. Like if you want to look like uh, Matt sit -ups, Froning, sit -ups, go do 400. Sit-ups or the GHDs? The GHD actual... sit-ups. Okay. Okay. Got it. Supposedly, it's just like a staple. He's like, yep, every, every week I'm doing this. Yeah. It's kind of like some people's run, but it's his, it's his core work. I just got to hit my, my sit-ups this week. That guy doesn't count. He, he's not human. He's a freak. Yeah, real nice. quick, Nick, because yeah, before, before, before we get into the guest today, I think it is apropos to discuss that video you sent, the YouTube. So it's on YouTube. It's Eddie Hall attempting the uh, Navy SEAL PT test, right? Yeah, PST, yep. I don't know the standards for that, but that's it. I mean, I, I kind of skimmed through it and I was, you know, trying to trying to finish it up before the episode. But that's a really cool video to check out if anybody wants to. And I think kind of ties in with our guests a little bit too. That guy's a bro for trying all these things. Like he went and did the, what was I actually, it? I actually love him because he, between that snatch video that you sent yeah. me with, he does the uh, Isabella and then just trying these challenges. Like, and you know, I'll shit on like the big meatballs sometimes, but, but hats off to you, Eddie Hall. That was fucking awesome. Yeah. And guess what guys, that's a, it's a super simple test if anyone at home just wants to try it obviously it starts the 500 meter swim you don't need to do that it's max push-ups in two minutes you get a two minute rest max sit-ups in two minutes two minute rest max pull-ups just dead hang until you can't go anymore and then it's a mile and a half run after i think a 10 minute rest so it's a good way to accumulate work really quickly the men's health video that was dropped i think today or yesterday is pretty funny and like you said that dude, you know, he's the strongest man in the world. He's banging out 77 push-ups. I don't know what his run was, but the fact that he, yeah, even, you know, he puts himself <laughs> out there is, is badass. Now, his run, which was the most impressive thing, I think he was like 1120. 
I, I could be misquoting that, but I think he was sub 12. So you're, you're thinking about a guy, he's got to be close to 320, 350. What do you think he weighs? He, no was, he was tipping the scales over four when he hit his world record deadlift, but he's slimmed down to like low 300s now, and he's not a tall guy. Okay. Okay, so you weigh in the low 300 pounds and you can run a sub eight mile for a mile and a half. That's that's really freaking impressive as far as I'm really concerned. Is. is he still going to box Thor? Is that still a thing? What's he doing? They were Him and Thor were talking like beginning of pandemic that they were going to have a boxing match. <sighs> American. <laughs> the world needs it. Either I mean, look, I would say if either of those guys can make it three minutes, but like you just said, he just ran a, a mile and a half and, and sub eight minute mile. I'm surprised. I did this interview solo, so talked to a gentleman named Remy Adeleke, and this dude came to us from Joe Synagoga a couple episodes ago, said, you got to talk to this dude. Wrote a book called Transformed. He is from Nigerian royalty. His father was a prince over there, died when he was five, and came over to the Bronx with his mom, and basically, you got to read the book. It's great. But the, the interview was, was really fun and he really got into, you know, just how he overcomes adversity. And y- you'll see a common theme here is every time he's kind of met with some type of turmoil, he just thinks through it, works through it and turns kind of, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Like he just, everything the guy touches seems to, <laughs> seems to go like kind of parabolic. He's, he's absolutely crushing it. He's now doing, you know, filmmaking. I think he's, done some stuff with some big broadcast stations. He's writing a TV show. So hope you guys enjoy this interview. He was in the one of the more recent Transformer movies as well, right? Yeah, he, he gets into that a little bit. I know he does some consulting and stuff like that, but that's the coolest thing. Like you'll, you'll hear in the interview, like he's just not happy with just being like an average Navy SEAL or being an average person in, in Hollywood, which already isn't average. He just pushes the boundaries even further. And, and he gets into that a little bit in the, in the interview. I'm kind of glad I didn't sit on this one. I'm so excited to listen to this. You, I, I downloaded this book already. I'm going to listen to that. Then can't wait to hear this interview. So welcome to the Strategy of Fitness podcast, Remy Adeleke. Let me, let me tee this up before I even let you speak. Nigerian royalty, Navy SEAL, author, filmmaker. I'm sure you want to say son, father as well, husband. Are you going to share any accolades with the rest of us, man? <laughs> it's just a regular dude, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. By the way, Remy came highly recommended from Joe Synagoga, one of our guests, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so yeah. I dove into Transform, man. Awesome book. Uh, thanks, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. It was definitely a labor of love. I put a lot into writing that book. Excellent. All right. So look, this is a this is a fitness podcast. I, I saw one of your Instagram posts like back July 14th, I think it was. And you were like, dude, get it in no matter what during COVID. Yeah. What'd you do today? How, how are you getting it in? Are you working out at home? Let us know about that workout routine. Yeah. So today I did a workout called Spartan 500, the workout that I created. It's a 500 push-up workout. So essentially you start out with your max push-ups, like you, you go into like absolute muscle failure and then whatever your max number is, you subtract that from 500 and then you do a circuit of 20 push-ups 15 shrugs with dumbbells, 20 push-ups, 15 shrugs, 20 push-ups, 15 shrugs, and 15 dips. And then I do 15 swings with the dumbbells. Some people do kettlebell swings, but I hold two dumbbells and I swing them out and squeeze my chest, right? And then that's once, and then that's one rotation. And then I keep doing that, you know, 20 push-ups, 15 shrugs, 20 push-ups, 15 shrugs, 20 push-ups, 15 shrugs, 15 dips, 15 swings. And there's times when, you know, 20 push-ups are too easy, so I'll do 25 while I'll do 30 or, you know, but it's called Spartan 500. It's a, it's, it's a good circuit training workout, cardio workout. It's a good all-around workout, and it sucks, especially in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, out in San Diego, I bet. So what's, that, what's, what's your workout look like these days? I mean, are you making up your own stuff? Are you following a program? Are you kind of just all over the place? No, you know, I've just, I've always, from the time I started training to go to Bud's, I've always just made up my own workouts. Like I just mm-hmm. try to find what works for me. My big thing and when it comes to fitness, as long as I'm I'm constantly moving, that's the most important thing to me. I don't like workouts personally. I don't like workouts where you bench and then you sit down and wait, bench again, sit down and wait. To me, I just like to keep my heart rate up. And- if you know me, you know I'm always on the run. 
up early, and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. To keep pushing, just like, you know, I was... You know, in the teams, we train like that because it's like you got to be able to, you know, dismount a vehicle, do a, a long hump or hike to target, go on target, execute the target, and, you know, whatever that might consist of. And then you got to get off target and get back to your extraction, right? So it's always, it's constant moving. It's constant, you know, it's, it's endurance, right? So that's how, that's how all my workouts are based. They're all endurance-based workouts. I love that, man. I love that. And I'm the same way. Back in the day before I went to you know the boat teams, I was that guy that used to sit on the bench, do my squats, whatever it was. I yeah. took that nice, healthy, long rest in between. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't captivate me anymore. I have to be yeah. moving nonstop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, you know, the thing is, what's going to happen if you ever get into a fight, you know, or on the street, or what's going to happen if you ever get in a situation where you need that endurance? And there's a lot of guys, man, like they have, they have that muscle, right? They're really, really, you know, muscular and bulky, but you put them in a situation, man, where they got to go from point A to point B, they're going to be in a hurt lot. You know what I'm saying? All that muscle. <laughs> a lot of that muscle is just for show. You know what I mean? And no doubt about it. No I doubt about it. I can't be like that. No. All right. So look, man, give give the listeners a little bit. I told you this isn't going to be like your, your normal every every interview, but give them a little bit, just enough, because your story I listened to Transformed. I, I, I dove in. I got the audio book like a couple weeks ago and just flew through it. Absolutely loved it. And the way it starts was so cool. But talk about kind of where you came from because it is unique. Yeah, I came from Nigeria. I lived in Nigeria the first five years of my life. I was born into a super wealthy family. And then my father died in Nigeria and the Nigerian government stripped our family of everything. So we were from, from rich to poor. My mother moved us to the States, grew up in New York City in the Bronx got involved in, you know, a lot of legal activities to make money, selling drugs, running scams, doing a lot of other stuff. Had a life-changing situation when I was about 19, 20, got involved in a deal with a drug dealer over some products I was selling throughout my life. But it was a, uh, it was a, it was a huge wake-up call for me because it kind of showed me that I needed to get out of, not just out of the life I was in, but out of New York City. Fast forward six months later, Went to go join the Navy. I had warrants out for my arrest. My recruiter took me to the judge to get my judges to get my record expunged and fudged the paperwork to sneak me in the Navy. And then, yeah, man, I uh, wanted to be a SEAL. You know, went, you know, after my first command, Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton, I went to Buds, got in the Buds. It was hard because I couldn't swim and I was super skinny and didn't have the academic score. So when I got to my first command, like, I really had to. I had to change my schedule around and I had to put in a lot of work in order to, you know, qualify to get into SEAL training. And then, you know, after a year checking in in my first command, I was checking out, went to Buds, got, made it through Hell Week, got to dive phase, which is second phase of training, got kicked out of dive phase, went back to the fleet, personal division with the infantry, was there for about a year and a few months. And then, you know, was blessed to be able to go back to Buds early, went back, made it through, and then I went to SEAL team on the West Coast 
And I was in from, I was, I did about seven and a half, eight years in the teens. And then I got out in 2016 and just, you know, found myself in doing what I'm doing now. Awesome. So let's take it back. So just again, everything's fitness related here. So can you think back, you're only five when you left Africa, but I've always wondered like, what's it like you're raising sons now, right? Like, is it as instilled into little kids in Africa or around the world? I would imagine, especially coming from an affluent family. Like, were you were you playing were you playing t-ball as a kid or wh- whatever it was, soccer? I don't know. Is that something that that you even cared about over there? And then when you came over to the Bronx, things changed or they stayed with you. What's that look like, just from a perspective for the listener? You no, know, honestly, I was so young when my dad died. I was five when I left. I can't really yeah. recall a lot of what I did at that age, but. But yeah, when I got to the States, I really loved basketball as a kid, watched it. You know, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era. And, you know, my dream was, my dream as a kid was to play in the NBA. And, you know, I was on the basketball court all the time, just, you know, trying to get better as a, as an athlete. I just, you know, I, I, I don't think I, I was, I had the maturity and the discipline to really, you know, get better as a basketball player. And, and my priorities were just kind of divided at the time. So, you know, it ended up not working out for me. I mean, I got kicked off the, the basketball team when I was, I think I was a sophomore or something like that. I was, a, so, I was a sophomore. I got kicked off my high school basketball team for laughing at a joke. And that kind of left like a bitter taste in my mouth, you know, as it related to organized sports. And so, you know, I just said, screw it, you know, and that's, that, was kinda, that was kind of my last real venture into, into basketball and pursuing it you know, as a long-term dream. Yeah, I got that. And then, so then you're in the Bronx, you're, you're, you know, getting kicked off the basketball team. Then you're the the cell phone story, by the way, if you read the book, very funny. I I thought it was funny. Anyway, you telling it was very succinct and very, very good. What was the inflection point? What made you change? I I know you mentioned you you run it, you ran into some bad characters, but like, it's not as simple as flipping a switch and saying, I'm going to fix myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with a diet. It's the same thing with when you're working out. I mean, did you did you talk to the family? Did you say, "Hey, mom, like this is what I want to do," because you made a big leap, man. You, you didn't just say, "I'm going to stop doing illegal stuff." You went into the damn navy. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't talk to anybody. I mean, I think for me, the big, I think you know, I'm a you know, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian. I wasn't at the time, you know. So, but I would say, looking back, I truly believe that it was God's guidance and leading, like. You know, God knew what I would become in the future, and I truly believe that it was His His urging and His leading and His His, his graceful guidance that led me into the military. And I say that because, you know, I hated the I, I hated the military, I hated the U.S. government. You know, associating anybody in a uniform as a police officer didn't like the police. So that whole idea of joining the military was totally foreign to me. But I just felt like this presence. You know that you know sometimes you're in a situation where you can't explain what it is. It's just something that is urging you or guiding you or motivating you towards a certain area and you can't put your finger on it. It's just like, man, I, I, I don't know what it is. Something's telling me to go here. Something's telling me to do this. And then you go ahead and do it and a tremendous blessing comes out of it. And so looking back, I truly believe that it was like God leading me, like literally, because I like I tell people all the time I didn't join the military out of patriotism. Like I yeah, I joined after nine eleven, but that was the last thing on my mind. I, I joined out of the fact that I felt like something telling me this is the direction you need to go into. And that coupled with the fact that I had nothing else going on in my life. And I was just like, you know, you know, what what else am I going to do with my life? And so, yeah, that was, that was the real leading. I didn't talk to somebody. I didn't have a conversation with my mom. As a matter of fact, when I told my mom I was leaving for the military, like she broke down, she was crying. She was a mess, you know, and I didn't tell her until like, until I was already like fully in. Like, <laughs> Until you were like the late entry program going in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole process was like two, three weeks. I went into the recruiter's office in like mid-June, and I was in boot camp July 2nd of 2002. So <laughs> wow. it was a quick turnaround. Well, back then, man, back then it was a quick turnaround. It was peak, peak season, right? Especially yeah. for the recruiter's office. Now, what cracks me up is you're the second SEAL that we've had on here. Mitch Aguilar was also on. And his big thing was like, well, I didn't train. You know, I just kind of showed up the buds. And you know, these, these people are backed up trying to get into buds right now because the standards are so damn high. How are you showing up to a couple years into the military 
getting ready to go to budget and you can't swim. So did you just devote a bunch of time to the pool in preparation to pass the PST? Yeah, man. Yeah. But like I, my first command, I had a really, really, you know, gracious LPO named H&T Brown and she was super supportive of, supportive of me. And, you know, she believed in me and, and she let me change my schedule. So I would work four hours in the morning and then I would work four hours in the evening at the, I worked at night clinic cause I was a corpsman. So I worked in the hospital and then like I had four hours between 12 and, and, and 4 PM, sometimes 4 30 PM and just train, you know? So that was my training. That's, that was like, that time was sacred time. I didn't do anything else. Didn't, if it didn't have anything to do with me progressing towards getting into SEAL training, I didn't do it. So, you know, if I, you know, I was either studying my ASVAB book to help get my ASVAB scores where they needed to be, or I was like at the gym, or I was on my way to the running to the pool and swimming and then running back home. So that's what I did in those four hours. And then I would take another day on a weekend to just train as well. The only day I didn't train was like on Sunday to give myself a rest. But I mean, and sometimes I flip flops or sometimes I would, I would not train on Saturday, but train on Sunday, but I was training six days a week. You know, it was just a, it was a disciplined schedule. And that's something I tell people all the time. Like, you know, I get kids that are always looking for advice or looking for somebody to train them to get in this to a facility training. And, you know, one thing I always say is that, you know, if you need somebody to motivate you or prepare you to get in the SEAL training, in my opinion, like, chances are you're not going to make it, right? Exactly. That ain't an external motivator, baby. (laughs) That's an internal drive, right? Yeah, you have to be self-motivated. And I didn't know that, you know, I I knew that instinctively, but I didn't know how much of a benefit it was to me until I got to SEAL training. But, you know, I never trained with anybody. And I remember when people would ask to train with me, like, guys from the hospital would say, oh, I want to go to Bud's, or I want to go to Barsock or whatever. And they'd say, hey, can I come train with you? And I would say, sure. And they would all just last like maximum two days because my work was <laughs> that bad. And then they would not show up. And But I liked that because, you know, that made yep. me know that I was on to something. I was on to the right track because if guys are like, you know, quitting, you know, a day or two days of training with me, you know, and I'm still pushing through and I'm going on like five, six months of me training myself and I'm on the right track. And then when I got to SEAL training, I would just watch how, you know, guys, some guys would depend on other guys to motivate them. And, and when one of those guys quit, then that guy who de- depended on another guy would quit too. You know, I remember it was this guy in one of my classes. He trained with me maybe two times or three times, like swim training. And then those two times. And he, it was first day of first phase. And he, we had finished, what did we do? We had done, we had just finished a BIPI inspection. Mm-hmm. And he was like in a hurt locker and we would get ready to do the seven stages of hell, which is like a super long beat down session slash run on the first day of Buds. And, and he was just in tears, man. Like, and he was sitting on a, on a bench, not changing into his, out of his, you know, inspection uniform and into his like, you know, run uniform and he was just a mess and I was changing and I, I you know, I was just like, what's going on? He's like, you know, I keep crying. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I know what's next. Because he had been to Buds before and he had quit the first time he was in Buds. So, you know, he just like, I know what's coming next. I can't take it. I can't do it. And I tried to tell him, hey, dude, let's go. You know, let's, let's get this going, dude. Like, it's nothing, you know? And it was almost like he was trying to get me to encourage him, but then he was just beyond being encouraged and he ended up quitting, you know? So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It's weird though. In, in those trainings where this is kind of inside baseball, but like other people quitting is very similar to how those people, when they quit your workouts before you're in buds, it kind of feeds you, doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. differentiates you even further. Now you're in this pack of alphas. And no matter where those guys go, for the most part, even if you quit buds or whatever program, you're still probably a standout in the rest of the world. And if you can withstand that and your buddy like telling you, shit, I know what's coming, man. It's going to be so bad. And you have the mental fortitude to just last, man, it, it, it instills something in you that's just a little different and it almost feeds you. Yeah, and it gives you confidence, especially when absolutely guys who are athletically ten times better than you. Like there were so many guys in buds who were way better than me. They were like 
D1 athletes, water polo guys, D1 swim team guys, triathletes, like all these guys who were just like, you know, these are the guys you look at and you're just like, there's no way this guy's not going to make it. And so, you know, when a guy like that, you know, especially a guy who would crush me on the runs and the swims and just like their scores were just way higher than me. When they would quit, it would just, you know, it would encourage me, you know, it gave me that great encouragement, especially coming from where I came from. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then you're in the teams. So did you, you were in there for quite a while. Did you like it? Did you love it? I mean, was it kind of just checking a box? Was it, you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me? Something in between? No, it was great, man. I enjoyed my career. You know, I got, got a chance to do a lot of like awesome things, you know, and got to, I, I got to actually operate, you know what I mean? Which I feel yep. bad for guys nowadays, like going through buds and SQT and all that. And like, you know, it's, it's like, what do, what do I do now? Right. Cause there's nothing going on, but no, I got to, I got to operate and go do DAs and, you know, firefights awesome. and, you know, and, you know, you know, I was a human guy, which means human intelligence. So I was able to do the intelligence gathering stuff and, and then, you know, go kick down doors. So, I mean, I, I, I loved it, man. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 had, I felt like I had a great career and, you know, and, and, you know, it was kicking the nuts to get to the point to be able to operate, you know, going through seal training twice. But at the end of the day, for me, it was worth it. I totally enjoyed it. Awesome. And then now we're, we're coming to present day, Remy, which where most people, you know, might rest on the laurels of being SEAL team operator. Now we're just going to go write a book and be a filmmaker. So tell us about that because I, I've already kind of hyped transformed a couple times, but talk about that. Talk about your, I know you're making a film now. It's just, you know, you're, you're up in it. You keep up in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, you know, no, no disrespect to, to guys who, you know, stay in the, in, in a field that's, that kind of parallels the SEAL teams. But I, I just didn't want to be that guy. I didn't, I want, you know, I want, I want to always be a guy who, you know, it's as though the past career I had didn't exist, you know? Mm -hmm. And so writing is my, my career. It's my job now. It's what I love to do. And it's, and what I love about it is, is something that's not tied to being a SEAL. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's something that, you know, a lot of SEALs don't do on the outside. So, yeah, man, I got into writing because I wrote my first book. I wrote it myself. I didn't have a co-writer. I didn't have a ghostwriter. I wrote every... Dude, for a guy that had to study real hard for the ASVAB, you yeah. wrote a beautifully written book. Thank you. So, Thank you. Like, There's a lot of backstory to that because my publisher, they, they didn't believe in me, you know, and they didn't believe in me as a writer. And, you know, they tried to kick me off as a writer. And, and then... Oh, it's like a Rocky story. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Did, yeah. Give us a give us a little of that because that's mindset, baby, to push through that. Yeah, it was just that you know they didn't. You know, I had a lot of I had a lot of battles with my publisher because you know you know how it is when some when a company is, especially the corporate side of the company, yeah, is they're bent on a specific structure and a specific way from the business side of doing things, you know. <laughs> You know, and, and then you have a creative, like a lot of those things conflict a lot. Like my publisher wanted the book to be half the size that it is now because they said, well, people don't read statistics show that people don't read long books anymore. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, the, like the, the biggest complaint I get from people who have read my book is, dude, I wish it was longer. I would like, yeah, it could have kept going, bro. I didn't want the story to end. I didn't want the story to end. And, but my publisher was saying it needed to be half the size it is now. And so I fought them on that. And I won, obviously. They wanted me to word down a lot of my book. They didn't want any cursing in my book because from their perspective, like faith-based bookstores are not going to carry my book. And I was just like, well, that's, I'm not writing my book for just a, a one particular audience. And then, you know, on, on, on top of that, like faith-based bookstores, just like most bookstores and stores are going out of business. So like, to me, like their business rationale didn't make sense to me. So again, I won that battle, you know, I mean, you know, the language is in the book. And so there was just a lot of battles. It's just a lot of, we know better than you type thing. And I'm, you know, one thing I'm a collaborator, especially in the film and TV industry, you have to be a collaborator. But when somebody's putting out information, it makes no sense and they can't really back it up. They're just throwing it out 
because that's what they're doing because because that's what they're used to you know that that's when i have to push back on it and interestingly like by the time about six about three months after no let's see about four months after my book released every person that pushed back on me on my book had either quit or got fired from 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 this publishing from my publisher <laughs> oh man that's a little validation which is interesting you know it's just like huh like all these people make like the, the the VP of marketing like before like two weeks before my book release she either quit or got fired the PR girl she she got fired a few months after like all these people like who were just to my you know I'm thinking from a business standpoint like this doesn't from business and a creator standpoint a lot of what you're saying doesn't make sense and then come to find out they had had you know some issues flops with other books you know based off of some decisions that were made. And so anyway, I say all that to say, you know, that was one of the fights that I had with my publisher. And interestingly, the editor of my book, when I, turned, when I finally turned in my book, one, when I turned in the book, one of the VPs, like, sent me a personal email after this day. And she was just like, I know we butt our heads a lot. I know we had a lot of issues, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, you wrote a really good book. Like, you're, she's like, you're a gifted writer. And I'm so glad that you stuck through. And, and, and maintain your status as a writer on this. And I was like, 100%. And then like a week later, I had a meeting with the editor because the publisher hired a specific editor. And the editor was just like, Remy, I got your book. I read your book. It's amazing. She was just like, here's a crazy thing. The publisher didn't know what type of book they were going to be getting. So they hired me to essentially rewrite the entire book. When they hired me a month ago, they hired me to completely rewrite the entire book because they didn't think they were going to get anything good. But I'm reading this and there's nothing to rewrite and there's not even much to edit. And we edited the book like really, really fast. So that's... Oh, uh, man. So it's that confidence be- again. You got... I mean, yeah. at this point, now you're going to get into filmmaking. You got to believe you can do anything at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what kind of gave me the... Writing the book, which I'm so grateful I did, gave me the confidence to like write films. And, you know, like in the film and TV industry, you know, there's a saying content is king if you want to be a producer in the film and TV industry, which is like after having been a consultant on like big movies like Transformers and Six Underground and big TV shows, you know, I was just like, man, like I don't want to be a consultant, which is one of those jobs a lot of Navy SEALs get and other military people get stuck into. They get stuck in this consultant game where they're almost doing a job of a producer because they're in charge of so many different departments. And they're they, they they're in charge of making the TV show or the film look as authentic as possible, but they're just getting credited as a consultant. So you're here. Yeah. You are giving away your IP, giving away all of these ideas to help make a show or a film look real, but you're getting credited as a consultant. And the sad thing is, there's so many military people who get stuck in that. For I know one one guy who's been doing it for 20 years, and he's never risen above the credit of a consultant. And you know, once I realized. Hey, I'm gonna keep getting these phone calls to consult on these projects, but I'm gonna just get credited as such and not paid what I should be getting paid. I was like, I'm that's not gonna be me. So that's it's that skinny branch mentality, though. You know, it's yeah. just like the guys that get out and go contract after being in the teams. Like, yeah. it's it's money. You know, it's guaranteed, and you know it's there and it's safe. That's- Although the work might not be safe, but you know. You going out there and saying, you know, this isn't enough for me. I got to do more. You had to take a chance on yourself. And that's something that a lot of people do not like feeling vulnerable enough to do. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. And I, that's what I did, man. Like, I was like, okay, I want to be a producer. Well, how do you be a producer? Well, you got to have, you have to hire a writer to write a, write, to write whatever idea you come up with. Because that's what a producer is, essentially. You know, just simply a producer is somebody who comes up with an idea and then they put that idea together. So they bring on a writer to write the project and they find a director to direct it then they find talent and i was just like well i can't hire a writer but i'm a writer so that's when i just started writing my own stuff and, and you know i got one project that that got picked up by a really really big production company that i wrote true story about the first group of african-americans to serve the special forces i wrote that film and, and then i got another film that just we're close to like the entire franchise being picked up by another major producer so you know, just I got I just got hired to write a TV show for another producer. So it's, it's just it's just been growing. You know, from you know sitting down at the computer computer and writing that book, it's morphed into this new career. Yeah, that's awesome. And and you're balancing family life with that, right? Oh yeah, you have, you have three kids, right? Mm-hmm. 
I have three awesome. kids and a fourth one away. And it's great. I get to work from home. I mean, I work from home. I mean, I'm, I'm in my office and I have an office in the house and my kids are on the other side of the door in the living room. They're doing homework, you know? So, you know, I get to I see them throughout the day and, you know, and then I shut things down at about 4.30 every day and I'm with them. So I get, you know, I get the best of both worlds. I get to work in a busy job. and But at the same time, I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. Beautiful. All right, man. Well, look, I, I appreciate the time. We do not let our guests get out of here without answering three staples and they are nonsense. But the very first one, your favorite non-alcoholic seltzer, if you had to drink one, like a bubbly, a LaCroix, what's your go-to flavor? This is a, a point of contention on the pod. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what a seltzer is. What is a seltzer? Oh, you're kidding me. Come on. A, like a LaCroix, Perrier, you know, the, the bubbly the bubbly waters that come in cans that everyone drinks. I don't drink that stuff, bro. <laughs> so. Good. Zero. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Number one PR song in the gym. We put this on a on a playlist that, you know, we're kind of building What's throughout these, these episodes. What's a PR? What do you mean PR? PR, personal record, PB personal best like you're about to go max lift or you're about to do spartan 500 what's the first song you're throwing on the playlist I I, honestly i don't listen to music when i work out you don't listen on music and you don't know what seltzers are this is yeah. groundbreaking no i don't because i because like you know my my work day starts at it starts around 8 30 sometimes earlier and part of my work is education so I'm a big, I'm a big believer in education, and uh, and I mm-hmm. know that knowledge is power, and the only way I'm gonna get better at anything is by increasing my knowledge. And so when I work out, I'm always listening to some type of class. So I'm always listening to a writer's class or a screenplay class, or I'm listening to a YouTube channel about producing or podcasts about film producing, story arcs, story structure, <clears throat> like that's that's what I do when I work out. I'm always, I'm, and that's part of my work. Part of my work is educating myself so that when I walk into my office to put together a film or a story, I understand how to put it together. So that's why I say I don't listen to music. I haven't listened to music during a workout in years. I just, I, I just learn. I put on something and I just motivate myself. I don't need the music to motivate me and I, I learn and I work out. Huh? Easy enough. Lastly, you got to have an opinion on this one. How do you define strong? You walk by a dude in the gym and you say, wow, that dude's strong. What, what's going to turn Remy's eye? In a physical sense or just in general? Yeah, physical sense. Physical sense. They're doing something at the gym and you're like, oh, that guy's strong. Oh, you know, I think like for me, I think the equalizer as it relates to physical strength is pull-ups. Yep. Like, you know, anybody can bench, you know, any weight. Pull-ups are extremely hard. And you're, and, you know, you're pulling your own body weight. So a person who can knock out like a lot of pull-ups, that to me is, that to me is strength. You know, when you can hit above 20, 30 pull-ups at a time. I, I'm still now, when I was in Buds, <sighs> the highest number I did was 50 with full gear on straight. And, you know, now I'm at like 35 straight, 40. So I know how hard it is to do pull-ups. So anybody that can do a large number of pull-ups, that's me straight. Yeah, if you're going to start banging out over 30 dead hang pull-ups, you're a different breed, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Thanks again for for coming on here. This was a blast. I hope you had a good time. We'll obviously plug this, and people will check out your book, Transformed. Any parting shots you have? No, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm sorry it took took a while to get on, and there was some some confusion with my assistant and stuff, but I'm glad we worked it out. Thanks for having me on, brother. Yeah, bro. Nice talking to you, Remy. God bless you. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. Check out Remy on Instagram and, and everywhere else. The guy's blowing up. Let's do our hitters for the week, boys. I'm going to hand it over to you first, Rob. Nas has got a new album out on Spotify. I saw randomly, and I'm going to go with the track Ultra Black. I sent you guys this week. Really, really like that song. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know he dropped a new album until you shared that with us. So appreciate that. Dan, what do you got? So speaking of bands we love that drop new music, The Killers' new album came out. I'm going to go with My Own Soul's Warning by The Killers. That's that's my gym hitter for the week. Awesome. And No Ceilings from 2009, the Lil Wayne mixtape dropped on Spotify and Apple Music. Surf Swag. This song got super hot because of LSU and the hype videos and the kickoffs and all that stuff. Well, you'll remember why when this song ends up on the playlist. 
and blows up your speakers. Great, great song. You ever go back and watch that hype video just randomly? Yeah, yeah, I do. More times than I'd like to actually. Yeah, yes. It's got staying power. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I, I mean, I'm not kidding you. It When did it come out? February? Well over a dozen, dozen and a half times, sometimes before big sales calls. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a douchebag, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to get over the, the image I have of you listening to that song before you're about to talk to some, as um, to I, as I'm Wall wearing guy. shorts and I'm buttoning up a, a shirt that's been like in a pile because I haven't done dry cleaning because I haven't needed to in six months. So that's what it looks like. And that song <laughs> as soon as you said that, I don't know why I got an image of Buffalo Bill getting ready in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's probably pretty similar. Oh gosh! Well, that's amazing. I, I, can, I, can I be honest? This is a confession, Dan Gorn confession window. I like the I like the University of Iowa Machine Gun Kelly hype video better mm-hmm. than the LSU video. I, I don't know why. Perfect. Like you, you're it, entitled to your opinion, but your opinion is a hundred percent wrong. Yeah, but that, wrong. The, those those beefcakes and just that that energy, that Alpha T energy. I love it, and it gets me gets me going. Alpha T energy. There's nothing better when those two dudes come out of the tunnel and they do their their jump handshake right when the beat drops in that LSU video. Oh, if you haven't seen it, you're like, what the fuck are you trying to explain? But if you had, you understand that you can't articulate it because it's so perfect. Just a casual I think they, 45 inch vert, like getting warmed up yeah, for the game. Yeah, exactly. Synchronized. This is that's that's what I feel like you and Rob when you guys finally meet. That's what it's going to be like. It's just that synchronized like handshake, just that's fucking it. coming down. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I can't wait. All, All right, right, great, great, great week, guys. Great job, Nick. Good job on the interview. Thanks for getting. Yeah. Our by guests. the way, Transformed is the book of the week. Pick it up. Check it out. And hope you guys enjoyed.